Hey, this is Jeff Scott Soto from Sons of Apollo, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. You better turn this up and keep it up. Hey, Metalheads, Scott here. I'm Richie. And back once again with that which uh, you crave each and every week, focus on metal. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good. Coming to have it. Ah, it's weird, huh? No, I like it. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) good stuff this week. Uh, We've got a great interview you did with our perennial at least once a year, if not two or three times a year, Joel MacGyver. About uh, his brand new book, um, uh, David Vincent. Yeah, I am morbid. And uh, David Vincent from... And also this week, uh, you touch base with uh, Jeff Scott Soto, all about Sons of Apollo. Yeah. So a couple of good things there. But I guess the biggest news, well, I don't know if it's the biggest news, but pretty big news is uh, is K.K. Downing coming out with uh, a band with uh, with Ripper and um, also, uh, God damn, can't remember the drummer's name right Les this second. Binks. Thank you. Um, I can see his face. I can actually see his current face, but... Uh, yeah, um, very interesting news. So is this two versions of Judas Priest now? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> now, Priest have announced their 50th anniversary. They have. And shows, let me very guess. Very limited number. No, I don't have tickets. <laughs> They're uh, not playing up our way, are they? The closest is Foxwoods. What's that? Saturday Tours? night. Foxwoods? No. Well, not the I drive. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it's a Saturday night. I did. I I, I ran it by. Uh, I ran it by Nick, and uh, she was like, "Nah," because there's been other stuff to come up at Foxwoods too, and it's kind of like you go there, you got the tickets, and then you got to, you know, you do a room, and invariably, if they've got a show, they jack the price on every freaking room. I mean, sometimes you can play the game. You can uh, if there's like a show at Foxwoods, you can you might be able to get a room at Mohegan uh, if they're not synced up. But sometimes Mohegan will catch on, and they'll jack the room prices too. And they're just down the road, so it's a quick hop. It's casinos, but yeah, yeah. Anyone's wondering. Um, but um, she was like, "Nah, let's pass on it." So, uh, so no, I didn't get tickets. Okay. Although they were on the night we're recording this, they did do pre-sale starting today. What Sabaton are supporting? They are. Um, do they play the U.S. often? Uh, they played the Palladium. Weren't they with Hammerfall? Yeah, I think you're right. Last yeah. year sometime? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Um and I think they had another recent one they were gonna they were doing too. They were at the Palladium again. Um for something else. But um yeah, so uh, more than they ever did. Uh, uh they they certainly weren't consistent, but lately it's it's been consistent. Uh it was funny too, because initially I see I see Sabaton and I read it as Sabat. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, Andy exactly, right? Like my head just put all this like stuff together, and then afterwards, I'm like, oh, like your head's full of metal, metal bullshit. Like really, you like converted Sabaton into Sabat. Right? It's, <laughs> it's interesting you bring up Andy Sneap because I've seen one or two posters on social media. He's not even in the pictures. No, they have. They've got they've got Glenn in the pictures. Yeah, I don't think Glenn's not going to play. I don't think he's going to play. Might, well, if he does, it'll be like the last time I saw yeah. him when he came out and did one or two songs. So that means they have to get someone else in to play guitar. Yeah. Um, interesting. KK was available till a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> What's your whole take on KK coming back? Um, 
I don't know. I, I think that, you know, maybe he played a couple of those things and decided he liked it. Um, and he's doing it like his own way without any of the the crap that um, presumably he was dealing with in the band with control and all that. And, uh, you know, maybe he just or the other part, too, is is we know that we've heard things in the past about um, him having some financial downfalls with uh, with the golf course he was trying to open and all that stuff, too. So he may just be like, ah, you know what? Well, I can still do it. Maybe I got to, you know, get some income and people are still interested in hearing me. And, you know, everyone doesn't feel like I'm an asshole because I left priest or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. Because you can have all kinds of reasons. When I interviewed him, he had nothing but great things to say about Ripper. And yeah. So he's always said great things about Ripper. Yep. Like not just when he, Ripper was in the band, but even afterwards yeah. when he was yeah. asked about him. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised at all that Ripper was went with him. I'm a little bit surprised about Les Binks, though. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good that they have Les on because he played on what? Stained glass and uh, hellbent for letter. And I, I think it, if he's going to do it right, he's got to have at least one other like former priest guy in there, right? He can't just have it like him and Ripper. Yeah, so, but there's nobody else other than Les. Dave Holland's dead. Who, who's left? Um, there's nobody. No, it's got to be somebody else. No, the, all that the changes in that band were nearly always in the, at, at the drum stool. No, I think there was somebody in before Les though. Who played on? Um... Les Simon Phillips. He's a session drummer. Uh, the first album, though. Rockerola? Yeah. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm too old <laughs> to remember this shit. Don't, stop asking me hard questions. You know, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's uh, good for KK, you know? Uh, see, how, see how much of, uh, um, you know, uh, tour and stuff they do. I know that Ripper is out right now, or he's just announced tour dates with the three Tremors. So, um, you know, I don't know. You know, if this is going to be a widespread thing or he's just going to do limited shows or what. It's an interesting choice of name he's picked, KK's Priest. It's, is he sticking the middle finger up to Judas Priest? I wanted to come back and you basically shut the door for me for the 50th anniversary. So now here's my version of Judas Priest. Could be that little I, bit I of I think uh, there's more stuff than there too, yeah. I, I think that's a lot to do with it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, be interesting now when... Uh, when Judas Priest start doing the promo for the, uh, the Are we going to have Vinnie Vincent's kiss? Hmm? Are we going to have Vinnie Vincent's kiss? No, but <laughs> um, are Judas Priest going to... They're, they're going to ask... They're going to probably ask Robin and Ian Hill and, and these guys about K, what KK is doing. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure they're going to just... They're well-trained in my answer, oh, yeah, the, answer though. Yep, it's beyond our best album ever. We love the producer. Yeah, yeah like um, KK can do what he wants. We've nothing but good things to say about him. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah. Um... He's into that new music, which is uh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, I I want him to write new music. He always wrote great stuff with Priest. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like I said, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, if they make it around, and if they do, yeah, I'll probably go. I would definitely go. I've never seen Ripper. Yeah, um, big fan. Mm-hmm. Guy can still sing his ass off. Yeah, and I can uh, say that Three Tremors tour isn't coming anywhere near us. It's not. No, no I checked the dates. No. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, that's. That's just uh, that's just one of the things. Oh, just another quick thing. Yeah. Um, Scorpions and White Snake. As we're talking, I don't know what you heard. Uh, they cancelled this Sydney show. Now the Scorpions have only ever played in Australia, I believe, twice in fifty years. Okay. The, la- the last time they had a load of shows cancelled, Klaus got sick. Uh huh. And he got sick this time. He got kidney stones. Right. That suck. Yeah. Oh. And they 
rescheduled the Sydney show and cancelled the Brisbane show and the one show they had in New Zealand. Hmm. And fans are fucking pissed because um, of travel. Yeah. Um, what a lot of fans are asking, and it's a ver- I think it's a pretty valid point, Whitesnake are there. Why couldn't Whitesnake play? Yeah, true. Um, what, what I'm hearing is the promoter said no. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, which I found odd because Whitesnake are there. All the crew are there. They're all ready to go. Scorpions can't play. Mm-hmm. Um, they're offering a refund. Yeah. But of course, if you're a fan of Whitesnake and Scorpions... And you've got all your travel bo- paid for and all your hotels yeah, you're paid for. you're not getting for. any of that You're not getting back. any yeah. of the bands at all. Yeah, unless he's got some crazy thing where the, with the guarantees, if like, you know, one band goes on, he's got to play both, he's got to pay both bands their guarantee no matter what or something like that. But I don't know. You figure... But, but you think you about it. You've you, read about promoters doing stupid stuff yeah. too, you know? But you can't, you're not going to make money if the venue's empty. Yeah. You know, you could have, half, half the crowd might decide not to go and get the refund. Mm-hmm. And then you might have other people might go. And then Whitesnake might say, right, we'll play four or five extra songs. You know, make the effort. Now, Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe they weren't given the option. Mm. I think if they were given the option to play, I think Whitesnake would have played. I I just find it odd because the classic example for me was the OzFest in in Ireland years ago. Mm -hmm. Ozzy Osbourne was headline, of course. It was the OzFest. He cancelled. And they fucking went ahead with it. And you could get a refund. Yeah. So everybody else played, well, and Black Label, Zach didn't bother coming over from England either. Hmm. Um, so Slayer headlined yeah. the OzFest. Ozzy didn't play. I got a refund and all my friends went. Yeah. So everyone got the best of both worlds. Hmm. And here you're just, you've no gig at all. Yeah. I just, it's disappointing. I, I know it's business, but there's a lot of travel. If you're in Australia, these bands don't come around very often. Yeah. Especially, they're all getting up there. Like, you know, <laughs> they're all saying, oh yeah, the Scorpions will be back in a couple of years. And I'm like, it took them 50 fucking yeah, years not. to get there. Probably not. First place. <laughs> you know. So, you know, if, if, I, I don't know. I just think some of these promoters, I need to get the head out of their ass and look at the customers. That yeah. They're, they're I don't know. Because you do, you just, you just hear the them do weird crap so it doesn't make any sense sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. I just thought we'd spend a minute talking about that yeah. it's just no, that disappointing disappointing because we've got yeah. Australian listeners yeah and um, the bands don't you know Metallica cancelled yeah um, now you've Scorpions cancelling and I've been saying for a while that all these bands are starting to go down to Australia a lot more yeah and they're all the bigger ones are cancelling yeah I don't, it, it just sucks there's got to be some reason why but it I just, it sounds stupid. It yeah. It sounds stupid. But there's no recourse for the fans, of course. You've, yeah. Everything's paid for. Yeah. Here's your, here's your $100 back for the ticket. Ooh. and But we can't do that in about the 1500 you spent for hotels and flights. And right. I, I, yeah. Head scratching. Really yeah. is. That is messed up. Hmm. Uh, well, anyway, let's go on to some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to do first? You want to do David Vincent with Joel? You want to talk about Sons of, Sons of Apollo with Jeff? Which one are we running? The, which order this week? Um, let's do Jeff first. All right. Um, yeah, I, so I got the, the special edition with the bonus disc stuff on it. but uh, I will never listen to the bonus disc. No? The instrumental stuff. No. But, I, uh, well, even in the interview you talk about about the fact that you like that there really wasn't an instrumental yeah. in, in the album proper. Yeah. Um, although some of them do have some pretty long passages that y- y- you go along thinking, 
is this an instrumental? Because it really starts to feel like it, you know? Mm. Um, but one word that came to me, you know, listening to this was um, slinky. Like, these songs have this, like, slinky kind of groove to them. Like, almost all of them, which is weird. I mean, I, I used to hear that sometimes from Mike um, on some Dream Theater things. But this album, it has this feel that almost... I don't know. It could be for strippers. It's got this. It's, <laughs> it's got this slinky groove feel to it. It's. I don't know. It was the first thing that jumped out at me was. It definitely has this certain feel to the album. Yeah, it's it's a heavy record. It it's, is. It's a it's a really solid album. Uh, they're definitely getting their own identity. Yeah, then uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think people are still going to compare them to Dream Theater because. You know, Mike is still synonymous with that band, even though he's been gone for, geez, how long has he gone now? Ten years? They definitely sound different. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. But I do like the fact that, yeah, this is, seems to develop, you know, developing kind of a, a band identity and stuff. And um, even just, you know, um, with what you was talking to Jeff about in the interview, too, really kind of shows that there's there's a lot of that. Although it seems that Mike has definitely transported his Dream Theater role over to Sons of Apollo, um, except that in Dream Theater 2, he was pretty much the primary person that got interviewed, did all the media and like all that too. But that's kind of more, that's more parsed out in, in Sons of Apollo. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely feeling like a band to me. Oh yeah, well, I saw him on, on, the, on the first record. Yeah. And that's one thing you, can, you can't level up Portnoy that you can level at a lot of other guys. Um, when he does all these bands, he tours with every one of them. And when I mean tour, he, he tours properly with them. He doesn't just do these projects and he, he never tours. Um, I think, what did Jeff say? They did like 60 or 80 shows on the on the debut. Mm. Um, and as we're talking here, they just finished a, a North American run. Yeah. Uh, I think they're in Europe now doing a European run. Yeah, it's it's so it, it does feel like a band. It's um, and you do you do um, see kind of all of them talk about the band on social media and stuff, which is pretty cool. The only I don't know the only weird thing, and it kind of struck me in the interview too, was not much talk about about Billy and his role in writing and. Well, I never brought him up. All of that. But I, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's kind of the one thing where you start talking about how songs develop and all that, and, and that was the only that 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 did strike me, you know, in the interview. And um, I think a lot of times, if you were to ask people, like, yeah, who's in Sons of Apollo? You know, they'll say, oh, you know, well, well Ron's in there, and you know, Jeff's in there, and obviously Portnoy's in there, Derek's in there. And I think the person that probably most gets missed in the band is probably Billy. Maybe. Mate, well, you don't miss him when you when you see him live. He's phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I I I hear what you're saying. It, it, I didn't ask Jeff specifically about. People. No, I know that. I know that. But it just like he just really didn't come up. No, he it didn't. Was, it was like I said. It really struck me odd that mm. that he talked about all the different permutations about things and how songs travel and and development and all this stuff and nothing. Yeah, you're right. You're right, yeah, he didn't... Really it just was, like I said, it was just very unusual. Hmm. Maybe he does have a role, and it, I just never asked the right questions. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. know, I just... And, and 
you know, I don't know. I'm just talking on my ass, but it just seemed like, okay, is he just kind of like, yeah, we needed, we need this top shelf bass player. Doesn't mind touring drop of a hat kind of thing. Come in, can play anything. So, oh, yeah, we'll just, we'll use Billy. And I, that his role is just kind of come in, find a good baseline for the song, play, and that's it. I don't think that's Billy's M.O. though, is it? Well, not usually. He's usually a band leader. Yeah. Or, or he's, in, he's involved. Yeah. He's yeah. not this guy you bring Which is, in. again, why it strikes me odd. Yeah, that, <laughs> no mention of him. I'm sure it's it's not the way it, we're thinking, but hey. I'll ask him. I tell you what. The next time I have Jeff on, I'll just ask him about Billy for half an hour. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, I, I like it. Uh, I think it's a it's a good step up from the last one. Never really got to hear much of the live one, but this is. I definitely like this one. The live one's great. And uh, like I said, I, I like the feel of it, and uh, it is definitely something that um, I think, depending on the volume that you're playing it it's going to have a different feel to it as well. Mm. Uh, kind of like dream theater music too, because you kind of play that low volume. You, you kind of have this other feel of it and then you, you start to get the epicness of it as you increase the volume. Mm. And I think this is kind of along the same lines, but uh, what do you say? We let you uh, talk to Jeff all about the, uh, the brand new sons of Apollo. Sure. Hello. Hey, it's Jeff Scott. So for Richie. Yeah. Hi Jeff. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. Yourself? I'm good. Are you off? Are you off the road now? Yeah. Uh, for for at least another ten days, at least. Okay, then you got to go to Europe. We're going to Europe next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, do you see uh, a definite growth this time around in the U.S. with the audiences you're seeing? And you know what? I I'm happy to say yes. <laughs> I'm happy to say yes and actually mean yes. It's uh, it's something that we. I, I think coming out of the gate, we expected probably a little more, a little more attention here and. And I, I realized it doesn't matter who's in your band. It doesn't matter uh, what level you're playing at. You still have to work your way. You still have to earn your stretch, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I, I believe that that first album and that first tour was very important, even though it, was, it, it wasn't as lucrative as we wanted to or expected it to be. But I certainly think it helped, it helped make, it showed people that this was a real band. Yeah, now, now Jeff, you bring up the, the the lucrative aspect of being in a band now. Um, looking back on the debut record now, um, would you have been surprised if it was if it was a one and done? Because of the musicians that are in the band, like Mike's in a lot of bands, Derek the same thing. You've got a lot of projects going on that it could have been a one and done. Well, it wasn't a one and done in our head because we we all agreed and went into this with the commitment that we're gonna we're gonna do it regardless. Uh, and I even said that in interviews in the, on the first album. I, I said, if two copies are sold on this album, if, if only our mothers are the only ones buying this record, we're going to continue because we actually, we enjoyed making that record. We enjoyed our, you know, what we actually uh, pulled together as a band. And this is, I was even saying this before we did one show. And so obviously after seven, seven months of touring, that whole that changed the whole game plan. The whole playing field changed. That's when we absolutely knew and realized that we're we're going to be following up with this and we're going to continue doing this because we as a unit that basically that we became a unit. We became a band and and, and everything about it. We we were so excited to make album number two and from that alone we knew that this was going to continue. Hmm. Now, Jeff, I want to ask you a few questions about being on the road. Um, sure. As a singer in a band, and I've spoken to a lot of singers, are you someone who isolates themselves themselves away from the rest of the guys because you don't want to get sick? I don't really. I'm not crazy about 
any real routines or, or staying away from people or not shaking hands or uh, not sharing microphones, that kind of stuff. I'm a little more so than I was back in the day, but I'm not as crazy as a lot of, I'm not neurotic about it all because the bottom line is as long as, and I really put a concerted effort, a really hard effort into staying healthy, both physically, I'm doing fitness every day. Even if I don't have a gym, I find a way to get fitness done. And between fitness and sleep, you can pretty much fight authentically. Um, on this last tour, Mike got pretty sick. Derek was sick. And I think one of our crew guys got something, and I didn't even come away with a tinge of it. And oh. I test that to my, my regiments and my everything that I do for myself to keep myself healthy. And... Yeah, it, it, sometimes you can't avoid it, but for the most part, I'm not going to go crazy about it because if you're going to get sick, you're going to get sick. There's nothing you really do about it, and all you can do is is your best. and And I, I try not to even let anybody know that I'm down or, or I'm not in full voice or whatever. But for the most part, sometimes if you're not feeling it, you're not up to snuff. You got to let them know because, especially now, YouTube is forever. You don't want people saying, "Oh man, this guy can't sing anymore." Oh man, he poor guy, he's losing it. Like, <laughs> I yeah. found worse when I was 25 and being sick than I do now at 54 if I if I get sick. Yeah, Jeff, what's the sickest you've ever been and pulled off a show? Uh, I was just talking about that yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, I had, uh, on in 2016, I think it was the first Soto tour, my, my other band Soto. I Along the way, I got pneumonia. We were doing an East Coast run before we were getting onto the Monsters of Rock cruise. We were doing like like uh, a slew of warm-up shows before we got on the cruise cruise. We never played together as a band as Soto. So I wanted to make sure by the time we got to the ship, we were tight and, and the set was refined. And of course, along the way, I got pneumonia. Um, by the time we played Pittsburgh, it was, it was literally like four or five days before we got on the boat. I was so bad. I was coughing all night. I was in, in such bad shape and my voice was just gone. I finally went to urgent care and they they said, yeah, you, you have pneumonia. I don't know. You need to take the next two weeks off at least because it can be dangerous. I said, I can't. I have commitments. So that's the night I did apologize to the audience. I said, we have one of two things we can do. Cancel the show and you guys all go home and, and everybody loses. Or you just bear with me and I'll get through as much as I can get through. And the band helped me sing and the, the audience helped me sing. And we had a great time of it. Nice. Nice. So when you're on the road, Jeff, um, are you someone who wants to get out and see the sights then? So that maybe you can get away from everyone. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like you're like Mike Parr. I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a crab on the road. It's it's kind of funny because my guys, especially in the band Soto, are more so like that because they're they're still used they're not used to the the amount of decades of touring that I have under my belt. I was more so like that when I was younger. Uh, after touring for thirty thirty five years, I, I I would rather have tranquility, peace, and quiet not go out and be my, my one day off. I don't want to be yapping all day and I, I want to recharge and get ready for the next slew of shows because it, it's, it can be brutal out there. You do have to battle the elements. You have to battle illness. You have to battle all these things. So a day off for me is gold. It, it's, I treasure a day off. The last thing I'm going to do is go out and be yapping and, and, and possibly getting sick in a, in a public place or whatever. So I, I really don't, I don't need any more snapshots or postcards <laughs> from different places around the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Jeff, what countries in the world that you'd like to play in have you never played in? I've never played Poland. There's a lot of the Eastern Bloc I've never played. Um, I finally got to do Russia for the first time ever with Sons of Apollo. 
which was fantastic. It, I've been waiting all my life to go there, and we, I finally got to do Moscow. And this time, this time around, we're going to Moscow and St. Petersburg. And that's also opened up doors for me because I went and did another gig on my own last year in St. Petersburg. So the whole Russian thing has opened up. Uh, I'm playing Ukraine for the first time playing Kiev. Uh, I've never been there. I'm so excited about that. I've never played in China. I've never played in uh, Korea or or Vietnam or, or um, there's so many Asian countries I've never been to. I've only been to Japan. And I would, yeah, like Indonesia, I would love to go to. Uh, there's so many. There's still so much uncharted territory that the JSS ship has not landed it yet. Yeah, Je- Jeff, I'm from Ireland. Have you ever played there? Absolutely. Dublin, Belfast, and, uh, well, it, it depends on what part of Ireland you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, the UK version or the, the Dun- non-UK version? I'm the Republic. I'm from the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. Ah, yes. So yes, d- uh, Dublin. I've, I've definitely, I've, I've done a few dances out there with both solo and with Sons of Apollo. Nice, nice. So when you're on the road now, out of the five guys in the band, who's the biggest practical joker? That's a tough one because we all have our turn. We all take our turn in that. I would say probably the funniest, and it's probably because he's the eldest in the band, is Billy Sheehan. He's got a wealth of humor and material and, and, and things that we've yet to experience. So he's pulling things left, right, and center from, from his days with David Lee Roth or Mr. Big. And he, that guy, I, I, he keeps me in stitches every day. Every single day, he's got something witty and new and clever to, to throw out, and it's and he's always been that way as long as I've known Billy. So I, I would have to say Billy. Mm, and who's the perfectionist? Oh boy, um, that's a tough one. I would I I probably have to say it, it's a tie between Derek and Bumblefoot. Okay, but Bumblefoot, he, I don't think I've ever heard the guy mess up. He's he's always pitch perfect he's always no perfect and and he's just he's just spot on every time it, it, it drives me crazy i just i'm waiting for him to fuck up somewhere along the way now i i saw you guys on the first uh run in worcester yeah. in, in massachusetts and yeah. you did something where you and the cradle will rock where you got off the stage and you sang it at the bar um yeah did you do that at every show i did I did it at one show early in the tour, and and the guys thought it was the greatest thing, and and the audience loved it, so it became a regular nightly thing. There were some funky places. There were there were some instances where it didn't quite work out as well, and it didn't stop me. I, I didn't care. I, I still did it because uh, it, it it was something fun even for me. I, I'd go out basically. I'd start the song from the the back of the room somewhere in the bar, and I'd be drinking a shot of something, and 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 make my way to the stage to finish the song. So yeah. it was, uh, I've done it. I did it a couple of times at the beginning of this U.S. run, but I I'm not a I'm not a fan of repeating myself. I don't want to do it just because I've already done it. I, I, if I'm going to do something, it has to be something more spontaneous and and you know for that moment. And I, I stopped doing it. It just I, I, I just don't like that. I don't like doing it just because I did it on the first tour. Yeah. Now, Jeff, I want to know, did you notify security in the venue that you were going to do that? No, but that's at one point, especially when we got to Europe, that's when our tour manager was following me, following me through because there were a few times where it, it was difficult to either get back on the stage or 
I'd either get lost or I, I, I wouldn't have access to get back on the stage so easily. So he started following me through the audience to make sure that I could actually finish the set off with the guys as opposed to somewhere in a, in a broom closet. Yeah. I, I, I just want to ask you, Jeff, a couple of questions about the, the live album you brought out at the end of last year. Um, sure. How many days rehearsal did you have with the orchestra? One. <laughs> a whole one day. The what? funny thing is, I thought all along because when we started the uh, we start we we started that leg of the tour in Japan. We actually no, let's rewind. We started at the Prague Power Festival in Atlanta. We just did a one-off there, got on a flight straight to Japan with no days off. We did three in a row, and then straight from there to France to to start off the European leg. So we had basically one day to kind of refresh and kind of uh, acclimate to the uh, the new time zone. And that day off, we actually went into one of the the uh, ballroom, or uh, I'm sorry, one of the uh, convention rooms at the hotel, and we did kind of a an acoustic run through. It was every you know guitars and bass not plugged in. A mic was tapping on a on a table with drumsticks, and and uh, I think Derek had a mini keyboard just running through his iPhone just for sound. And that's the first time and only time that we actually went through those songs together. We went to. We didn't even go through the backing vocals on those those songs. I'd never <laughs> sung "Cashmere" in my life. I'd never sung "Diary." I've never sung "Dream On." I've never sung any of those songs except for "Show Must Go On" in my life. Wow! And so we did that. Just a, a quick run through there. And I thought along the way, as we were sound checking, as we were getting nearer to the date, we would start rehearsing these songs at sound check. Oh no, that's that's not how this van operates. We waited to the day before that show. We had one rehearsal with the orchestra. Uh, we had one single run through, and the next day we were filming a live DVD. So, warts and all, that's <laughs> you got exactly the performance that, that uh, and it's amazing. Again, it's a testament to how good these guys are. Um, I was scared shitless. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I've never sung these songs. As the singer presenting these songs, I got to make sure these things sound good. So, it, it was nerve-wracking, but on the other hand, it was fun as hell, and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, Jeff, who picked the cover versions? That's all Mike. That's all Mike's doing. He's uh, he, he's pretty much, uh, and I don't want to say this in a negative tone, he's in control of a lot of the creative aspects of the band. And we, we give him that. We, we He's the captain of this ship because, and I get this question all the time, we, how do we have five major players or five names and who've done it all in the same room together without the egos clashing. And that's an easy answer because in the, from the very beginning, we all agreed that it has to be one captain of the ship. Mike is a great captain. Let's give him the run. Of course we all, we, if we don't absolutely, we don't agree with something, we will speak up and it'll get mixed. It'll get vetoed. But for the most part, it's all Mike's ship. And as long as it sounds good to us, Sure, let's do it. Sure, let's do it. So when it came to the set list, even the set lists that we do in the order of the songs, the sequences, we let him run with that. And then we throw in our little additions to kind of specialize and customize it as we go. Hmm. Now, Jeff, were any of the ideas for the, 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 new, the new record, did you hear them lay, flying around for the first one or are they all brand new? Brand new. There, there were a few ideas that Derek came, in, came to the table with that he was... Uh, kind of dabbling at, at sound checks here and there, but um, there there are no 
nothing on this album were, were from ideas for the first album. Oh. So uh, it, it's all brand new and fresh. There was uh, there, there was no leftovers. There was no uh, well, I, I was going to use this for one of my other albums, but let's try it for this end. It was every single thing was all taken in as new information and, and created that way. Mm, so even all the lyrics are all brand new. Like you heard the music first and then wrote the lyrics to them. Absolutely, that's that's how I do everything. I, I I have to do it that way because the music dictates what the actual the context of the lyric is going to be for me. Mm. Um, it's, there's no way I can write um, a lovey-dovey lyric and then stick it in a song that sounds like asphyxiation, for instance. It's you clearly have to hear the song and it kind of directs you and guides you to the lyrical content. Mm. Jeff, are Mike and Derek sending you the whole song to write the lyrics to? Yes. Okay, so you don't. Uh, well, it's Mike Derrick and Bumblefoot. They, when they they craft and carve out their the the general uh, skeletal foundation of the song, then they'll send it to me. And but also, I I did one day where I had all eight songs. I sat down with Derek, so he can kind of guide me. This is where the verses. This is where the chorus. This is where you're not singing at all. That kind of. I needed that because you listen to a piece of music and you don't know if you're expected to sing over certain parts. And thank God for that, because there, there's so many crazy moments in all of this music that it would be impossible to decipher. The kind of music I do with my bands, it, it's a little easier. It's, it's more self-explanatory of where I'm going to be singing and what's going to be the hook, what's going to be the main part of, or the, yeah, the main core of the song. But with Sons of Apollo, it's almost impossible to know where the verse is or where the, the chorus is or that kind of stuff. Mm. Now, so I was able to do that with Derek and we kind of mapped it out. And from there, he left me on my own. And that's where I was able to kind of create from there. Yeah, and one of the things I really like about this record, there's no instrumentals on it. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you, you, get the, you kind of get the instrumental part of it uh, taken care of in the song New World Today, the 16-minute monster because obviously there's a lot of music in that song and not as much on the vocal department. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get the instrumental and where these guys get to blow their loads. But I also, I'm, I'm also part of it as well. Hmm. But what I'm trying to say is like, you're singing on every song. Um, was, yeah. was that something that Derek, Mike and Bumblefoot wanted you to write lyrics for everything? Or did you say, L listen, I'm writing lyrics for all of them. You can either use them or not. No. It, it wasn't even a. It, we don't think that hard or that much into things. They they just they wrote the songs and they knew these are all going to be vocal oriented songs and whether they're five minute songs or sixteen minute songs, they were they that in their heads when they were crafting it. This is how it was to be. Okay. Is there much back and forth between you and Mike and and Derek and Bumblefoot about what the lyrics are? Or do you just write them not, and say, listen, these are the lyrics. Are you okay yeah, with it? They, not necessarily. I, I, I kind of know if I'm writing lyrics for a band or for us, I'm representing them as much as they're representing me. So I don't stray and go into a world of, of maybe themes and lyrics that, that, that might uh, that might rub them the wrong way or might not agree with their, their own personal lives or, or their beliefs or whatever. So I try to keep it within a context of general, you know, general subjects in the sense of not. It, it, I don't. I don't want to drag. Them. I'm not going to write a song about uh, of religion or about politics that goes against what they believe or what they don't believe. 
So from that alone, on that level alone, that's I, I get I, I give them that respect to to make sure that there's no rub that they're not going to come back and say, "Dude, I I can't be a part of something like this." It reminds me of it, 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 it's funny you say that. It reminds me of a song called "Disciples of Hell" that I had to do on Inbe's album back in uh, 1985, and I remember there was a there was a, a middle section on that song. It was a chant. And when we were first writing the song, I was kind of goofing around, kind of doing this kind of satanic, it sounded satanic. <laughs> and even it, we were laughing about it when we were goofing, you know, writing the song and, and just kind of rehearsing and getting ready for pre-production. But when we got in the studio, Ingrid decided, hey, man, that, that chanting that you did, that you're goofing around with, we need to write something and do something for real. I'm like, uh, no, I was just goofing. No, 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 it's really cool. So he wrote the lyrics raise your cup and praise the prince of darkness and all this shit. And I grew up in a very strict Catholic family. I'm like, I can't be a part of this. My mother's going to hear this. She's going to think I'm Damien with a six head. So I spawned him so hard. I, I even tried to use reverse psychology and say, you know what? You've got that European accent to your voice. It would sound so much better if you do it. No, 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 no. You're the singer. You got to do it. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I did it out of protest. And again, <laughs> and, and that, just because you brought that up, it brings me back to that time where I had to do something where religiously I was against and I didn't want to do it. And, and it's on an album forever. <laughs> when I die, it's going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jeff, what about how you sing the lyrics? Yeah. Um, are they more or less happy with the way you the way you pitch your singing on all the songs at this stage that you're they're very comfortable with you in the band? Well, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I do read some reviews, I do read some uh, some fans critics that they prefer my voice when I'm singing more the melodic rock or the hard rock stuff, or I even read things saying, "Oh man, Jeff's voice has changed so much. I don't like this new change. He's getting older, and his voice is getting too raspy and husky." No, I have many aspects of my voice, and I take pride in that. That uh, somebody like Freddie Mercury, for instance, was such a huge influence because that guy has so many colors to his voice. And I, as an artist, strived for that all my life. I wanted to be able to have a, a multicolored, multifaceted voice. And the voice I use for Santo Apollo is exactly that. It's 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 made for Santo Apollo music, and. I tried to sing something cleaner. I tried to sing things a little more melodically and, and more the way you would hear on say a wet album or a talisman album. But those guys wanted heavy. They wanted, they want me to hit it hard. So I do exactly that because that's going to be the signature of some of the Apollo sound. Hmm. It has nothing to do with my voice changing because I just finished my new solo record and I sing completely different on that than I do on some of Apollo. Because nice. I have, because I can. Yeah, nice. Uh, Jeff, what was the hardest song to write lyrics for on the record? Hmm. Probably, it, it, strangely, it's, it was the easiest because I didn't really, I didn't get too complicated or poetic. Uh, would have been Desolate July because it was so personal. Hmm. Uh, anytime you write something about somebody that means so much to you, especially in this song, it was written for my uh, my former bass player, David Z. Uh, and his passing and everything, it, it was it was difficult because I wanted it to say everything that I, how I feel, but I didn't want it to be a, a complete downer. I didn't want it to be something that sounded too personal. I wanted I wanted it to be able to relate to to, to somebody else who might maybe had that same kind of loss. I wanted to uh, so to transcend and translate it 
to other people. I, I that was the hardest part in in taking my personal side and making sure that somebody else could relate to it. Yeah, yeah. Did the rest of the guys in the band know David? I'm assuming Mike Partner oh, probably yeah. knew him. Mike actually knew him much longer than I did. He's, he, he, they were friends for many, many years before I even met David and, and his brother and his family. So, uh, yeah, Mike was first in line for the, the length of time that he and the, the amount that he knew David. And uh, I would be second. And from there, it, it went down the line. Billy and uh, Billy Bumblefoot and Derek didn't know him as well as both Mike and I. But they, they both, the rest of the band saw how important it was for us to to to, tr- to put this message out to to make this dedication and this tribute for David, so they had no problems with it whatsoever. Yeah. So, Jeff, how many bands are you in now? Um, officially, I'm, I'm actually really only in two. It, it seems like I'm in a lot more. I'm not. I'm not like Portnoy. I'm. I'm in projects. If you want to add that. Yeah. If you want to add the, uh, the fact that Talisman is still kind of floating around. We exist when we want to and, and when we can. If you add those factors and then, and if you even add Transiberian Orchestra, then I'm pretty much in six. If you want to say my solo album, my solo career, Soto, Wet, Talisman, Transiberian Orchestra, and Sons of Apollo. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps you busy. Keeps me working. Yeah, so Je- Jeff, just one more question before I leave you go. Sure. Um, are you going to record a live album on this tour? And if you are, how are you going to top the first one? Yes, and, and it's a great question because we haven't actually we haven't discussed doing a live album, and and even the uh, the live and plausive DVD that we did wasn't discussed the early part of the tour. Um, we haven't discussed it, so I, it's hard to say yes or no. Uh, something might come up that is is a no brainer. We have to film or record that. And but knowing Mike as well, Portnoy is he's a, he's very well known for every tour to 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 document it and release it in some format or another. So there are no plans, no concrete dead set plans. So, so on the other hand, I can't say no as well. So at, at the right now, maybe. Hmm. Okay, Jeff. Do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can't get in touch with you? Indeed, sonsofapollo.com, of course. Uh, that's the, the main one of what we're discussing here. JeffScottSoto.com is my my personal URL. And then, of course, uh, any the, the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's basically, it's exactly that. It's uh, it's those those tags, slash JeffScottSoto, or slash SonsofApollo1. SonsofApollo1, the number one at the end. For some reason, they couldn't do it without the one. So it's, it's it would say Twitter, uh, dot com slash Sons of Apollo 1. Mm. You actually remember them all. I've asked a lot of guys and they're like, ah, just Google <laughs> it. Just Google it yourself. We're out there. Yeah. That's because <laughs> most people don't, don't run their sites and they don't care to even check them. So yeah. I, I put a lot of care and a lot of uh, attention to my career. <laughs> Good for you. Well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Cheers, man. And uh, have a great time in Europe. Thank you so much. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, there you go. Nice job with that as well. And the guy, I think he was pretty nice to talk to. Seemed like he was pretty open and, and chill and all that good stuff. So. That was a reschedule because uh, I was supposed to talk to him way before that. Oh, that's right, yeah. And um, it got rescheduled because they had practiced before the tour. Yeah. So they did the tour and then I got to speak to him after the <laughs> tour. <laughs> I was thinking it was dead in the water, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, 
Because once you hear about a reschedule and you hear nothing for a week or two, or, or it's like, yeah, this is yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. But um, yeah, it came yeah. together. And it was, Jeff was great. It came together well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. So the other one, uh, guy we have on is is kind of our, our ever-present guest, uh, Joel MacGyver. Love having Joel on. Does so much. And uh, great writer. Always awesome to talk to him about freaking anything. He's kind of like... Um, Kind of like Brian Heaton, right? He's kind of an unofficial co-host of Focus on Metal. Yeah, you know? I think he's been eight times. I don't, I've lost count. We, it, he's He hasn't been on the show that much recently because he just hasn't published any yeah. books. He's he's slowed down a little bit, yeah. um, which happens with authors. They'll, they'll have a couple of books that'll come out more or less, not together, but right. within a few months of each other. Yeah, but then he's also picking up a whole other magazine. Yeah, so basically for a whole other one. Yeah, so yeah. There's, there's a lot there too. And a lot of times now, especially you, you, you look at the staffing of guitar magazines and it's smaller and smaller and you see those guys writing a, a lot of articles in every issue now as opposed to one or two. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure he's probably in the same boat. But uh, yeah, so he's, he's uh, got this uh, new book out on uh, David Vincent which isn't really something that's typically in my wheelhouse. But I will say that after, um, after you know, hearing the interview and stuff, it was like, you know what? I just might want to go pick that up and read that because it just sounds like an interesting story. He, he's a fascinating individual. Um, and then also some mentions of him in, in Raising Hell afterwards yeah, too. And I he, was like, huh. He's, he is very smart. Um, he's opinionated in the book. But he backs it all up. Yeah, his logic. Yeah, I think maybe part of it is I hear I hear David Vincent, and my brain says Glenn Benton. <laughs> <laughs> it's that weird connection thing, and and I know that especially you know you kind of do the reading, you listen to what Joel's saying, you listen to what other people say about even in that Raising Hell book, and you like why why do I cross-pollinate those two people they're they're clearly totally different belief systems and personalities yeah, but it's probably and, because we're not dead you know? metal guys that we just confuse the two of them because they're two of the band leaders and two of the biggest bands in the genre they they are but glenn's also got a, a whole other kind of persona and reputation and all that as well that um I guess to most people, this is off-putting. But, uh, you know, David just came across as, as a, at least talking, you know, what Joel's saying and stuff, to, kind of just a, more of a, a totally different personality. And like you said, there's a, there's a thought process that he can stand behind when he's talking to you about stuff. Yeah, yeah. He just, the book, I t- the book made me question a lot of things I do in my life. That's how good the book is. Mm. Because... He, he'll say something in the book, and I'm not going to give a lot of it away, but he'll say something in the book about his life. And um, he'll explain why. And then he'll explain why other people might ha- not share his view uh-huh. and why he has the view that he has. Yeah. And you look at it and you'll go, hmm, I might have the opposite view, but I'm reading through the points of how you got to where you are. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I might actually be able to take some of that to make me a better person. Hmm. It's not a motivational book. Yeah. It's just it's a it's a, it's just an observation from when I read it. I just found I just found his personality complete just fascinating. Yeah. Um he's an atheist, he's a sat he's a satanist. Yeah. He explains what they mean to him. It's not 
you know, yeah. burning down churches and all that. <laughs> it, it, he's just a very, very thoughtful um, person. And the way he did the book with Joel must have been great for Joel. Yeah. Going out there and spending time with the guy. Yeah. For, like, not doing it over the phone. Yeah. And yeah. getting to really, really know him because it really comes across in the book hmm. that Joel got to know him at a, at a, you know, at a pretty personal level. Yeah. Um, the mu- it, there's music in the book. I'm not going to say it's it's all like, you know, preachy. It's yeah. not a preachy book either. But it, 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 I said to Joel, uh, it's going to be my book of the year hmm. before, and I still stand by that. I don't think I'm going to read a better book yeah. this year. That's a, that's based on music, hmm. um, because it's so different. Yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely sounds interesting. I think it was you know probably good that Joel did it because. Joel definitely has a good background in that music as well. Oh, so, yeah, he loves that shit. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's good that he's got that too, but not coming in it as a fanboy either. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it sounded very interesting because initially I would be, even though, even though you know, I love having Joel on, I love what he writes, that was kind of one of the ones I saw that, and I was like, mm, I don't think so. But, you know, listening to this, I'm like, mm, you know what? It might be something cool to read. It so, is uh, definitely cool. I can't recommend it highly enough, to be honest. So why don't I shut the hell up and uh, let's let's run Richie's talk with uh, Joel MacGyver all about the uh, the brand new David Vincent's book. Uh, I am morbid. There you go. Hey, Richie. Hey, Joel. How are you doing? Good, man. All right. Nice to hear from you, man. Yeah. So I got a lot of things to cover. Before we get into the David Vincent book, um, we'll start yeah. with a softball question. What's happening with Dead Rockstar's podcast? Ah, well, we just ran out of time. We did a uh, 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 24 episode first series. It went really well. Um, but we're both so busy, and this sounds like a pathetic excuse, but we're both so busy, we just decided to knock it on the head for a while until things free up. Because it was taking like an entire day a week out of our time. We're both super busy. So that's the only reason, I'm afraid. But um, we think we did a good job with that first series, and uh, hopefully there'll be another one sometime. Yeah, I've had a, I've had people ask me saying the next time I get Joel on, find out what's happening because I think. Oh uh, well, anybody who's, who's listening who is interested, I do appreciate that massively. Yeah, uh, I do revisit those those episodes in time to time, and I laugh my balls off because they're so funny. Yeah, but hopefully there'll be another one. Can't make any promises, but uh, I would love that to do another one sometime. Yeah, because the chemistry I think you and Mick have is really good. Because Mick has actually met a lot of these guys in the past, probably more so than you. Oh, way more than me. Mick was the uh, the sort of the mentor, you know, and I was the sort of young rookie compared to him. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing that, and I learned an awful lot of stuff from him as well. Hmm. So, Joel, let's let's. There's a hardball question for you. Uh, England, yeah. England leaving the EU. Um, how does mm-hmm. the, how does that affect your livelihood as an author? Do you think? I don't think it'll affect my livelihood. Um, most of my business takes place. Um, in America and the UK anyway. Um, and uh, as, as I understand it, it would be in no one's interest um, to make it difficult for the UK to do business with Europe, where I do sell quite a lot of books. So assuming a decent trade deal is struck with the, with the members of the EU, I don't think it'll affect me personally. I think why it will affect the public in Britain most uh, is that we'll have to fill out a lot of forms um, and spend a bit of money on visas and generally waste time where we didn't need to before. Um, I was quite keen to remain in the EU, but now that decision's been taken away from me and the other 40, members of the 48%, we've just got to knuckle down and uh, try and get used to it. But um, 
I've got no faith in Boris Johnson and his stupid government, but then I haven't really got any faith in the rest of them either, so we'll, we'll just have to uh, knuckle on. I think we'll be all right. I'm basically an optimist. Yeah, well, I'm over here with Donald Trump, so I feel your pain. Well, so it's Donald for me. Tell him, tell him I hope he does a better job than Boris. <laughs> so, Joel, you were, you're, just, you're just back from Nam. Uh, how many times have you been yeah. to Nam? This is my, um, my fourth Nam. I went uh, in 08, and then I wait, wait another six years, I went in 14, wait another five years, I went last year, and then I went again this year. Hmm. Um, with, uh, I'm probably going to have to go every year because I'm the editor now of an American magazine, bass player. So uh, I really need to be there to, to meet the Americans and shake hands and look them in the eye. Hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun. Have you, have you ever been yourself? No, I've never been. I've always wanted to go. I'll make a point of it. Put it on your bucket list. Um, it's uh, it's hilarious. It's so much fun. And what's one of the amusing things, if you like metal like you and I do, is that it's it's such a Hollywood event. All these geezers who used to play in the 80s and now accountants and balls and grandparents stick their spandex on and come out of the woodwork and come and start playing all the Charvels and the DC Riches and all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's it's this very, very funny rock and roll event. Um, and the evenings are insane. There's always a mad night out. We went to Hollywood for the night, went to the Rainbow and uh, toasted lemon. And uh, it's just a good crack, mate. Put, put it on the list. Mm. Did, you, um, did you get a chance to hook up with Bob Nalbandian? Uh, are we, do you know what? Me and Bob, right, who I love dearly, we, um, we ran past each other in the lobby of a hotel just as I was leaving to get in a taxi to Hollywood. And I had, um, there's one friend of mine who was waiting outside. He was really pissed off because he'd been waiting for hours. There was another friend I was looking after who was really drunk, and she was kind of like, I'd, I'd, for safekeeping, I kind of leaned her up against the pillar because I was taking care of her, and I was running on and trying to find a third person who was also joining us. Um, and then Bob came running in and said, Joel, Joel, give me a come and hang out with me and my friends. And I couldn't because I had two people arriving. I had this drunk friend of mine who was like completely useless. Um, and no. I had to just give him a hug and say, dude, I'm, I can't catch up with you. And that, and that was my experience of seeing Bob Nalbandian this time. <laughs> so, um, but I, I dropped him a text afterwards then. I'm so sorry we didn't get to hang out a little bit more. We were laughing about it because Nam is like that. It's totally insane. Every I... five seconds someone shows up you really want to hang out with. Yeah, has it changed much since you first started going there? No, it's nuts, and it always was. It hasn't changed much as far as I can tell. You know, <laughs> there's always tons of money. You know, loads of really expensive sort of uh, uh, new instruments and and all that stuff. I think it's probably quite hard for the exhibitors, the guitar companies who are exhibiting now. It's a lot of money, um, but for the end user experience is basically the same. It's just a load of crazy people walking around um, um, and and you know falling over a lot at, at night time. Mm. You view it through the prison, but it's, it's so psychedelic anyway, because you've got eight hours jet lag if you've come from Britain. Yeah, that's um, true. And you're hungover. <laughs> and and people don't behave normally. There's a kind of, I was with there with a bunch of the other magazine editors, and it's kind of like, we were all agreeing that people don't behave normally in that. There's a kind of behavior which is very weird. People um, are either stressed or tense or drunk or jet lagged or excited, and uh, they behave in really weird ways. It's quite an interesting sort of anthropological experiment, really. Um, you know, no one can contact anybody because there's too many people using the Wi-Fi and the data. So you can't, you can't make a phone call, you can't send a message. You just bump into people blindly in this massive venue, which is which is running at like 200 decibels, so you can't hear anything. Um, <laughs> you got to go. You need like a week off to recover afterwards. <laughs> For my liver, yeah, and the Betty Ford Clinic. That as well, yeah. <laughs> All your body parts. So, Joel, let's get into the book. I am morbid. Um, yeah. How? 
How well did you know David Vincent before you did the book? I knew David, um, first of all, I met him in uh, 2008 when I was interviewing him for a magazine. Uh, I think it was a gender torturous DVD that came out. Um, and we chatted and it was fine and we sent emails and it was really good and we had similar sort of sense of humour um, and uh, uh, liked each other. And then I met him uh, when Morbid were over here, probably 2012, something like that, went out and had some beers. Um, and then every time uh, they came over, um, I would, I would uh, have a drink with him and say hi. And then... Also, I met him a couple of times at Nan when I was there. And we always tossed around the idea of doing a book, or rather his autobiography. Um, but he's a pretty uh, intelligent man, David. Uh, he's skilled, and he could probably write the book himself if he wanted to. Um, so we, we, we talked about, oh, come on, you know, we'll, we'll do an autobiography sometime. And he said, I'd, his line was always, I don't want to be another notch in your bed for study, which always made me laugh, because I'd, I'd worked with various people on their autobiographies. Um, in fact, he contributed uh, a paragraph of appreciation to Max Cavalera's book when I did that. Anyway, um, when he left Morbid, about six months after that, he called me up and said, look, I'm going to, to do an autobiography. Do you want to work on it with me? And of course, I said yes. Um, and uh, I went over to his place for a week. Uh, he lives just outside uh, Austin, uh, Texas, with, uh, with his partner, Suzanne, who's an absolute sweetheart. And uh, so we sat, I stayed there for a week and we just did, probably did 40 hours of interviews and then followed up with phone calls. Um, and uh, we drank some tequila. We went out in Austin a few times, which is great because I've never been there. And we did a big road trip. I stay out, out into the sort of, um, well, to me, it looked like a kind of desert. I don't know what they call it, a prairie or what, what do they call it? You know, the kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, and we did an interview, did, did a few hours of interviews while we talked, you know, and went to a kind of a bar full of cowboys and then a few beers. And it was a really, really interesting experience for me. And um, then the book got written, um, and Jawbone Press published it, are publishing it uh, in, in a week or so, I think, mm. um, from, from now that we're speaking in early February. Um, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun, man. I mean, that, that guy, he's very educated. He's very, very smart. Um, he uh, is very, very clever at reasoning and arguing um, and analyzing a point in a very sort of evidenced uh, analytical way. Uh, he's a hell of a brain, that guy. So um, it, it was an intellectual exercise that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, and have you had a chance to look at the book yet? Oh, yeah, I've, I've reviewed it and I've read it. I've done the whole lot. You got one, didn't you? Yeah, of course, right. Yeah, yeah. Then you'll know that uh, the format of the book is essentially uh, 10 bits of wisdom that we put together. Um, it, it does follow the format of an autobiography. It goes from his life from from, uh, from his early days to now. But it's, it distills his philosophy. And that, that wasn't the way we were going to do it to start with. But as I always say to people, when you do an autobiography, you don't know what shape it's going to take until, it's, until the interviews are all done. And across the 40 to 50 hours that I had with him, it became apparent that this was not going to be a book about um, uh, drugs and groupies, although those are in there. Um, it's it's more about his worldview and the things you learn about how to survive and how to do well and how to maximise your potential um, and how to how to live a, a first class life well lived, you know. Um, so the book the book title I Am Morbid was his um, was his his idea. Uh, I came up with the structure and the chapter titles and a few other things. Mm. Um, but it was a, it was a, it was a labour of love, man. It's done that really really well. Um, thank you for writing what you wrote about it. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's turned out so well. I'm so pleased with it. Mm. Now, now, Joel, um, I've spoken to you a few times about other books that you've done, and you always want, yeah. want to, if you can, do face-to-face interviews with, with the guy you're writing about. Yeah. Um, 
Was this David's idea to bring you over, or did you insist on it? Yeah, it was. No, no, he, uh, no, no, he, uh, there was, neither of us insisted on anything. It was a very uh, relaxed, kind of mutual, mutual thing. Uh, no, he suggested it, um, and I said, of course, I'd love to. So uh, I jumped on a plane to Austin and uh, moved into moved into his bedroom, <laughs> and uh, off we went. So yeah, it's much better because you know, God man, we sat outside. You know, I mean, it was it was September when I went, so the heat was brutal. So you could only you could only sit outside until like nine a.m. and then you had to move in. Uh, yeah. And we had a bunch of nights out, and it, you know, all these things. Are, and like I said, this road trip and all these things um, give the give the book a much more personal. Uh, flavor because you're face to face and you're actually looking at someone and it's an interaction and the way I like to do interviews with people is not to you know, grill people with these formal questions but to sort of have a chat really and just talk um, and, and in fact that that, process, that that approach really worked I think on one of the days we did 10 hours of interviews straight um, before we hit the beers and the tequila that's a lot of intellectual effort and it's exhausting yeah. Um, but David said later, and he put in the work, you know, and got it done. And um, the alternative, as I've, as I've mentioned to you before, is that you, you, know, you can do a phone call a week, an hour a week or something for six months, um, which is fine. That works too if you've got a busy schedule on either side. But uh, what I prefer is just devote your time to, to this one project and get it done and really, really dig deep. Um, and then it's, it's, it's quicker that way and it's, it's more intense that way. And, and I guess that's how I prefer it to be. Mm. Joel, how soon into doing the book, did you know that it was going to be different than probably a lot of your previous ones, that the music was more or less secondary in this one than some of the other ones that you've done? Like, did you get a sense that it would be different from the interviews you did with him years ago, or was it early on in yeah, your conversation? Yeah. No, the, the interviews, yeah. As, as we sat down in Texas in his house and we talked, I found myself amazed by the things he was saying. He wasn't, wasn't telling me stories so much about the things he'd done, although he did you know, tell me those things. He was also sort of delineating a kind of an approach to life uh, philosophy. And, and a, philo- a philosophy is not too big a word to use in this context. Um, it's, he, he's a philosophical man who's very, very well-educated. Um, and uh, there were dialogues uh, that I realized fairly quickly on in the process that that was going to be the major component. Um, and uh, that was how it proved to be. And but there is, I, I, I should stress that there is a chronological uh, story running through all this, but uh, at, at various points we start to discuss uh, some sort of deeper meaning, you know, and, and the deeper lesson from what's happening uh, as the story goes along. So that that's how it, that's why it turned out that way. Hmm. Um, was there a lot of stuff that he talked about that you couldn't put in the book? Not much. Um, there were one or two uh, anecdotes about people he's worked with. Uh, probably wouldn't have served any purpose you know? um, but so so we left them out the idea really was as with so many of the books that I've done that is that you know say positive things about people don't work you know um, these, these books and I always say this to people you know these books are going to outlive all of us you know we read hundreds of in good stuff like maybe even longer than that so do you want do you want people to read you you know bitching and whining and moaning about people or do you want people to to uh, understand the positive things that you you learned in your life? You know, so from that point of view, um, there, there weren't too many of those things uh, that we left out. There's always one or two stories. Like if you and I are sitting talking over a beer, 
and we're having a laugh. Mm. Um, some of the stories that some of the stories that you and I tell each other are, are absolutely hilarious. When you then see those stories written in black and white on a piece of paper, then you start thinking, yeah, maybe they don't need to be. Uh, maybe the world just doesn't need to hear this thing. Not because they're dramatic and terrible or anything like that, but you know, maybe a little bit negative and you know, a little bit of it. Just you know, they detract a little bit from the positive message of the story. Mm. Did David say when you when you turned off the recorder and went out for a beer that we were done? That if you if you'd said something over a beer, it definitely wasn't going to end up in the book, even though you thought it might have been great for it. Um, no, I don't think so. It wasn't as a no. No, I don't think that ever happened. No, I mean I wrote I wrote down everything that we talked about and we turned it into a manuscript and sent it over for his approval. And it was at that point that we realised that. Yeah, like I said, there wasn't much of this stuff. There were just one or two anecdotes that didn't need to go in there. Um, there have been books I've done with other people where we had to strip out absolutely tons of stuff uh, for legal reasons, you know, stories that would have got their authors in absolute terrible legal trouble. Um, but there was none of that with Dave. He's, uh, you know, he's not the kind of guy who uh, who will sit and complain about people anyway. You know, he's too positive for that, and he knows that that's a waste of time. Um, so no, there wasn't really much of that this time. Mm. Now, I'm not a death metal guy. You're way more of a death metal guy than me. Where would you rank Morbid Angel in their importance to, in the genre? Great question. Um, of all the death metals that there have been, death metals, all the death metal bands that there have been, I would say that Death, Cannibal Corpse, and Morbid Angel are the three most important. Um, not that they happen to be the three biggest selling. Uh, they also happen to be, or definitely at least, were among the first. Um, you could talk about Possessed. Uh, you could definitely talk about Deicide and Victory. And you could also look at a few bands like Attack Tour, which kind of crossed over into Death Metal rather than that they weren't a fully Death Metal band. Um, and, and give huge respect to those bands. Yeah, I would say that Morgan Angel plus Cannibal um, and Death are the three most important bands in that genre. Hmm. I don't think that's controversial. I think, I think most people who like the stuff are agreeing with me there. Now, after getting to know the guy and stay with him, what surprised you about him yeah. the most? Well, like I said, just that he's, he's such a reasoned, educated man. You know, I mean, um, I knew this already because I knew him a bit, but um, extreme metal, um, there, are, there are intelligent, and in fact, there are a lot of intelligent, educated people in that music. Um, but, but not, not many, you know, and, uh, and, and I, so I was surprised by the depth of the guy's intellect. Um, he's a smart man, you know, you, you wouldn't go up to him toe to toe, uh, with your intellect, uh, unless you were confident that you knew your stuff. Um, he, he just really knows his shit, you know, about everything. Mm. Um, and, and whatever you say to him, he's got five answers ready because he's clever and, and because he's experienced. Um. So that's the kind of guy he is. So, and, and I don't want to say that was a surprise to me. It's kind of a pleasant revelation, you know, um, uh, 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 that the conversation was largely like that. Hmm. He came across in the book to me as incredibly self-sufficient. Like there's a story about 9-11 when it happened. He immediately ran down to the basement of his house to see if he had enough like preserves and all that to survive. <laughs> well, he talked about that. He, uh, his father brought him up to be like that. Uh, so he was he was a good um, hunter, rifle shooter when he was a kid, um, and and he knows that hunting is a controversial subject and, and addresses that in the book. But the positive outcome for him uh, is that it's it's made him likely uh, to survive. You know, if he ever needs to, mm. um, he's, he's he's good he's good in the countryside. You know, he's good with nature. He loves it. Um, 
you know, just he has solid survival skills should he ever need them. Now that's not to say that he's one of these crazy, um, what do you call them? Um, what they call survivalists or whatever mm-hmm. you know, they're called. You know, they have like a nuclear bunker and they're convinced that the world is going to end and they, and they amass like 500 guns and all that stuff. That's that's not David, of course. Um, but nonetheless, he's got a keen awareness of uh, what you might need to survive if the worst ends. Mm. really. And I, uh, one thing that did surprise me about the book, he doesn't have any kids. No, he doesn't. That's right. No. Mm. Uh, he was married for many years to Jen, but uh, as he says in the book, they, they never found the right time, and, uh, so that never happened. Because mm. reading the book, the guy is so intelligent, you'd think he'd be a great father. Oh, I think he would be, uh, regardless of his intelligence, you know, he's a warm dude. Um, and he, he said that himself, you know, that, that in his early life, he perhaps wouldn't have made it such a good father. But now he thinks he would be, and I would agree with that, being, being a dad myself. He goes through a major transformation in the middle of the book. Um, as you'll know, because he read it, I won't give it away too much for people who haven't read it, but essentially uh, he underwent uh, a, a, a sort of period of, of, of uh, radical personal development. Uh, that's why he left the band the first time um, and went and sort of transformed from being a diva, diva rock star to being the decent man that we know today. And, uh, that's one of the more interesting parts of the book, I think. It's, uh, it's quite interesting what he put himself through to, to, to gain empathy. Mm, definitely, I know, I know what you're talking about, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it. I'll let people read the book. It's very it's very very different. It's very very different what he did to what normal people do. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it was a, it was a quite interesting course of action, but uh, it really worked out. I think we can all learn from that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I took away from the book as well, Joel, I mightn't believe in everything that he believes in, but it definitely sure. made, made me question the topics that he brought up. To how I deal with them myself, and I think that's the biggest takeaway I got from the book. Yeah. What What specifically? Well, when he talks about government and money and family and self sufficiency, and his talk about is, is you know, he's, when he talks about religion, um, yeah. his feelings on that, it, it made me question a lot of things and how how I deal with certain aspects of that in my life. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That was the intention, really. Um, it's it's about considering different points of view, I think, and gaining new perspectives. And these are the important things in life, aren't they? You know, family, religion, survival, uh, politics. And, and he, he uh, states clearly what his views are, while also stating in respect to everybody else's views as well, which, is, which I think is the important point. Mm. At no point does he say, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Um, even when it comes to religion, you know, about which he has strong feelings. Um, he simply explains where he stands and why he stands there. And uh, that's admirable, I think. I, I, was, I was very pleased that uh, that, that was included. Mm, definitely, definitely. So is there going to be an audio book of this where he's going to read it? So that's um, all to be decided, right? Well, I, we've already had approaches from uh, three or four different overseas territories asking to do translations, which will no doubt happen. Typically, there is an audio book, yeah, that can be done. Um, uh, it's just we haven't sat down and organized that stuff yet, but uh, that's on the list to do. Okay. And can you tell me, Joel, um, what books you're working on now, the ones that you're able to tell me? I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm always uh, um, a bit pathetic, aren't I? I'm always saying, well, I can't possibly tell you, Richard, I can't possibly tell you. <laughs> but uh, there's a solid reason for that, which is that until something is organized and the deal is signed, even then, you don't really reveal what it is until there's a publication date, there's a title, there's a cover. And I would thinking, I don't think there's anything um, 
that's uh, that's set in stone like that, other than what I might have told you last time, which is that uh, I'm working with Frank Bello on the bass player with Anthrax. And yeah, you've been um, you've been a little bit quiet in the last few years with the the, the volume of books that you've released. Is that deliberate? Uh, no, that wasn't deliberate at all. There was just a natural gap between some of the deals. I ended up putting three books out in 2016, um, and most book deals have had uh, had taken a couple of years to materialise. It's just that they all happened at the same time. Um, no, uh, across the last 20 years, there have been periods of a year or two when a book didn't come out. Uh, and there wasn't one in 2017, 2018. There was one last summer, and now there's this one. Okay. And then there'll be a couple more. Mm. Some of which might surprise you, actually. Moving away from the heavy metal arena and you laugh a bit when you hear about it. Oh, nice. Uh, in due course, my friend, or will be revealed. Yeah. And you're still doing Bass Guitar Magazine? Yeah, yeah, Bass Guitar, and also Bass Player Magazine, the American one, because they merged uh, about a year and a half ago. Nice. So, yeah, that takes up uh, about two thirds of my time. And then the rest is books, and then the rest is various writing gigs. Uh, you might have seen I did um, Neil Peart's autobiography. Uh, I'm sorry, his obituary. Yeah, I uh, saw it. Guardian uh, a while ago, and things like that. You know, they're, they're, it's a great honour to do those things. They come along sometimes. And I write a lot of copy for certain things, like the Bloodstock program, the download program. You know, I've got a lot of writing gigs as well. Mm. Um, and I also teach, I teach one day a week as well at a university in Birmingham called BIM. Uh, which is always fun. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, and uh, I try and get some mild debauchery done at the weekend as well and spend time with the family, so it all adds up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, Joel, give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or maybe buy this book. So I'm still on Facebook and Twitter, just under my name, Joel McIver. Uh, there's an Instagram page, but I never use it. My daughter administers it, so uh, if you want to say hello to her, you can. Um, other than that, that's it. Yeah, Facebook's still the thing, really. That's why I'm usually, usually at. Hmm. Well, Joel, I think this is going. To, this is going to be my book of the year already. It's amazing. Ah, uh, that's very kind of you. Considering it's only it's only February, those might be rash words, Richie. Something much better, and you know, may well come along. No, nah, I, I doubt it. So, Joel, listen, I'm going to leave you go. Well, thank you. Very uh, kind. And have a All good right. have a good rest of the evening. And, uh, thank you for letting me be on your on your podcast again. I appreciate it. No problem, Joel. I'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, Richie. Right. Cheers, mate. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, that is a wrap for this week on Focus on Metal. Thank you guys for listening. And we're thinking right now that uh, next week we'll be uh, doing a little bit of Focus on Vinyl. Got a great guest on the show, and uh, that's probably what we're going to do next week. We'll see, but that's still another seven days. But uh, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and Richie. Have yourselves a great middle week, and until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.